0: in unexpected places. This is
1: the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey friends, this is Jason Elam. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I love the conversations that we have here, and I hope you do too. But you know what I like even more than listening to the interviews on the podcast? I really love the conversations we're having on the Messy Conversations group over on Facebook. It's a safe, secure, private group where you can talk about your doubts and your struggles and faith and religion and all of life in an atmosphere free from judgment and full of love and respect. I would love for you to join the Messy Conversations group over on Facebook. You can find a link to it in the show notes for this episode, and I hope you'll join us there. Also, please check out our Patreon page. You'll also find a link to that in the show notes for this episode. It's patreon.com slash Jason Elam W-R-I-T-E-S. Uh, That is where you can sign up to be our patron on Patreon. We could not do this podcast without the 25 supporters who have committed $1 a month or more to supporting the work of this podcast through Patreon. For each giving level, there are specific reward tiers. You can get everything from early access to each new episode of the podcast all the way up to free copies of my forthcoming book, just for you. Uh, We are publishing articles just for our patrons on Patreon. We are also about to start releasing videos that will be specifically produced just for the patrons of this podcast on Patreon. So would you check that out? Patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes and make a pledge. It's just automatically drafted every month. You can cancel anytime and there's certainly no hard feelings about that. But I would love to have your support. It makes it possible for us to do what we're doing, and we honestly could not do it without you. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. My guest today serves as interim president of Peace Catalyst International, which is following Jesus and waging peace in 15 cities in three countries around the world. Martin has worked with local churches and mosques to create safe spaces to ask questions and build greater trust between Christians and Muslims. He has organized dialogue events, service projects, iftar meals, and peace feasts with Palestinians, Syrians, Turks, Pakistanis, Somalis, Kurds, and Iranians. He works with city officials, refugee agencies, local clergy, and interfaith groups to seek the peace of the city and mutual thriving for all. He's been with Peace Catalyst since 2011 when he and his wife returned from Turkish Cyprus. He has lived with his family in Portugal, Mozambique, Ghana, and Turkish Cyprus, and overseen missions, relief, and development projects in Afghanistan, Bosnia, Mozambique, Morocco, South Sudan, and Tanzania. He is married to Susan Brooks, who uses her artistic skills as a visual peacemaker. They're based in Louisville, Kentucky, with their three children and nine grandchildren nearby. I am so excited to welcome the interim president of Peace Catalyst International, Martin Brooks, to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Welcome, Martin.
0: Jason, this is going to be fun. Thanks for inviting me.
1: I'm really excited to talk to you. I've really long admired the work that Peace Catalyst International does, and I'm excited to speak with uh, an actual representative of the organization. But your, your personal story is fascinating to me, too. Let's start with that. Uh, let's kind of go through your spiritual history. Were you raised in an atmosphere of faith? I was.
0: Uh, you know, From my earliest memories, my folks were taking me to church three times a week, um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Uh, that was in the Churches of Christ. And then later in my life, I ended up shifting over to um, Christian churches, which are all part of that uh, restoration history movement. Um, Very Bible-based, very conservative. I sometimes tease that I was raised somewhere right of conservative. We ended up going to mission field at one point, lived in Mozambique, Africa. Later, we came back, and I worked with a mission agency based here in the States for about 10 years, traveled a lot organizing uh, work around the world, and then ended up going back to the to the mission field to Ghana just for a matter of months. And then we uh, lived in Turkish Cyprus for two years, and that was just a, a real transformative
1: time for me. Now. A lot of what we do on the Messy Spirituality podcast are deconstruction, reconstruction type stories. People who started off in one stream of Christianity and then started to unpack and question, and they confronted their doubts and started asking questions they didn't feel like they were allowed to ask previously. Did you have a season of faith where your beliefs began to shift or evolve? Yes,
0: uh, for sure. There there have been multiple seasons, and you know it. It, it seems to me it's a journey. You know, as the the Lord reveals more and more of Himself, and we unpack the difference between uh, religion and following God, uh, finding where the the Christ is at work around the world, and acknowledging that in other people. Um, I think a, a really transformative time for me was when we lived in in Turkish Cyprus. My best friends there were. Palestinians that had lived in the Gaza strip and as they described the Gaza strip it, it seemed like a like a large outdoor prison you know they they couldn't get out of the place but the reason that was so transformative for me was as we we went to Cyprus with the the mission agency and i was reading through the, the book of luke with with my muslim friends there and and just learning from them their perspectives it's always fun to read the read the scripture with people who've who've never experienced it and not with an agenda of of trying to change the other but but just to learn and seek god together and that's what i was doing with these friends but the the unpacking part happened as i i began to realize in my missionary training, I'd been told all the things that were wrong with Islam and why we were better than the other. And as I grew in love for my my friends, I began to realize that much of what I had been told, or at least some of it, was, was biased, presidential, and, and just inaccurate. So we came back to the States and... At some point, and said to the churches, maybe we need to rethink how we're approaching Muslims, and uh, that that didn't go over well with the uh, conservative churches. So you know, began to look at, at scripture again afresh. What's God doing? Does He make space for the other? Uh, are are we right and are they wrong? But one of the things that that helped me was being in relationship with uh, Muslim friends. Instead of reading about them or listening to the stories of, of, from people trying to raise money to go evangelize Muslims, actually talking to Muslims changed me because I realized that they, too, have this religious system that sometimes prevents them from being open to the other. And I began to see things in Islam and saying, hmm, we have that too in Christianity. And it made me wonder if if much of religion wasn't a phenomenon of psychology and sociology instead of really honoring God. So that's part of the journey. I mean, there's more. I can go on and
1: on. (laughs) Well, that's really fascinating. So feel free to go on and on. How did that initial call to mission work find you? We— had transitioned
0: from the, the Churches of Christ to the Christian churches, and primary difference being uh, one was had instruments and the other didn't. So in that transition, in, in church circles, you, you kind of lose your network when you move from one church group to another. And a missionary came through the Christian church we were attending, and he was working in Mozambique, and he said, He was inviting people to come work with him, and I went up to him afterwards. In fact, we had him over to the house for dinner and said, You know, I have always been interested in missions, but nobody's said, You know, come work with me. And he was, (laughs) I started to say, dumb enough. I don't want to put that on him. But, you know, he invited us to come to to Mozambique with him. And boy, that was a steep learning curve. Uh, We went, my wife and I, and our three kids went to Mozambique without. Having even visited the place beforehand, and we were uh, recruited to to uh, start a pastoral training school there. And at that point in time, Mozambique was the third poorest country in the world, and we were facing poverty and our wealth as as Americans. And you know, the Lord was was working with us uh, then. At, at one point, we didn't want to go to Mozambique because we had heard about the landmines that were there and the malaria that was there, and we were worried about our kids getting sick. And we had sort of a, a mystical experience in the sense that a woman showed up from our church, and she didn't know we were even thinking about going to Mozambique. But she said that she'd been praying, and the Lord had impressed upon her heart that uh, we were supposed to be missionaries somewhere, and she thought it was somewhere in Africa. So that's that's kind of how we got roped uh, into into missions. What has surprised you most about working
1: with Muslims?
0: That they're that they're just like us. Especially in the US, there's the Muslim population is 1 to 3% of the total population and most of them are are just stellar people, you know, they're they're trying to get their kids in college, they're trying to pay the bills. They they'd like to move up in their jobs. Um, some are devout Muslims that, that pray, um, you know, attend the mosque and many aren't devout Muslims, you know, they're, they're uh, secular Muslims, but they're Muslim because of the, of the country where they were born. That's what their, their family was. So I think that's the thing that has helped, helped me or inspired me really to kind of push back against the public narrative about Muslims. If you if you know Muslims, they're they're not a threat. It, it's it's not that it's not that there aren't some people who call themselves Muslim uh, have grievances and and want to hurt Americans. Yes, that's that's true, but it's just probably not your neighbor. And um, you know, we all have we all have crazy uncles that uh, in our family that that do crazy things. So yeah, the Muslims have. Um, Some Muslims have have terrorists that claim to be Muslim, and some Christians have white nationalist terrorists that uh, blow up things occasionally. So yeah, they're just like us.
1: Tell us about the origins of Peace Catalyst International. How did that organization get started?
0: Peace Catalyst was started by Rick Love, uh, who had been the international director of uh, Frontiers missions. And he went through a through a, a deconstruction period where he was he was questioning. Well, he was teaching at, at uh, Columbia University and had a reporter come into the class, and the reporter wrote uh, an unfavorable article about um, that was called the the Stealth Crusade, and he talked about missionaries, you know, pretending to be one thing and going into a country really with a an agenda to. Uh, convert people that, you know, the governments of those countries wouldn't want and the local people wouldn't want. So it's like, you know, just how, how ethical is that to hide your agenda? And then, and then when the agenda comes out, do the people that you've been working with feel betrayed uh, by it? You know, you you mean you lied to me all this time? So uh, Rick, Eventually, started Peace Catalyst and, and some other people who were having similar experiences and questions uh, joined with them. That was back in 2010, and I ended up joining Peace Catalyst in 2011 after coming back from Cyprus and and questioning the way we were we were
1: working with with Muslims. What first made you decide that peacemaking? was worth giving your life to as
0: as a vocation peacemaking I, you know I, th- I think it's more the the kingdom of god the concepts of when when jesus in luke 4 you know comes back to his hometown and says you know i've come to present the good news for the poor Freedom for the prisoner, give sight to the blind, and declaring you know the year of jubilee. That's that's how I define the gospel message. And in the evangelical mission groups with which I was uh, involved, the the message is so focused on make a decision and you know follow follow these say these words. Uh, dedicate your life to to this, and then if it's just focused on evangelism. And I think I think that the gospel message, the message of the kingdom, is much bigger than that, including peace, including you know following the the Prince of Peace, seeking peace as as followers of, of Jesus. That's I think you know Jesus models going into villages and, and stretching people beyond their comfort zones and has given us a, a ministry of reconciliation. So peace to me is an expression of uh, the kingdom of God on on earth. I think that's what he wants for us. And I think the when our message is only about evangelism, change your religion for my religion, your list of rules for my list of rules— that's just that's too narrow. Uh, so I want to approach Muslims not to convert them to an American expression of Christianity, but to point to to Jesus, because I think peace, internal peace and external peace comes as we align our life with him.
1: OK, you've raised an interesting um idea that I'd like to unpack this might seem like a rabbit trail but you you brought up uh, you know response to the gospel the kingdom of god what is your understanding of the gospel of the kingdom what does that mean to you well I, again i would go back to
0: what jesus said in uh, luke 4 you know he he said it's mutual blessing for all people that there's thriving in loving God and and loving others. So, you know, when Jesus boiled it all down, you know, this reductionist uh, theology, uh, he boiled it down to love God and love others. And that's what I want to, to call people to do. And I think that pretty much sums up what our life should be uh, in the kingdom. Now, when Jesus, in that same passage, made it clear that uh, this message wasn't just for his uh, home synagogue there in Nazareth. Uh, it wasn't just for the for the Jewish people or the or the religious system of the day, but it was for uh, the Syrian general with leprosy, and the was it the Syrophoenician woman who fed who fed the prophets, you know. The, and God was at work in these other other places. And when Jesus pointed that out, that it's not just us, it's an inclusive message for everyone, it made the religious establishment, the in group, so mad that they wanted to, they tried to kill Jesus. And this idea of, of God working outside of our religious tradition, you know, we see it all through scripture. And, and this has been a transformative thought for for me, you know, Melchizedek shows up in the Old Testament before Judaism is even established, and Abraham uh, gives gives gifts to him, acknowledging him as a representative of God. You get to Jesus' birth, and you have the you have the um, the wise men coming from Persia. Probably Zoroastrians or something, you know, they're looking at the stars. But this message of Jesus is central to, is pivotal in history, and and God goes to these people who are looking at the stars, speaks to them in a way that they understand, and says Jesus is really important. You need to check out what's going on uh, over here, you know. So so again, God works again and again outside of the system. Uh, Acts ten, you know, Jesus or uh, the, the Peter has his vision and says, "You need to go to to Cornelius's house." And when Peter goes into Cornelius's house, he says, "Now you know that the law forbids me to be here." The religious structure <clears throat> had set up a system that made it forbidden to uh, interact with the other, and God just breaks through those systems. So the gospel of the kingdom is not just for us. Um, it, it is for everyone. And not that everyone has to look like us and, and follow our list of rules, but the, the Christ spirit, the Holy Spirit, is, is alive and active in places. So a lot of years ago, um, Henry Blackaby wrote that book, Experiencing God, you know, and the, and the catchphrase was find what God's doing and join in. As missionaries, as as followers of Jesus, I think we should just be fascinated when we see love, when we see God at work in other places. And we should acknowledge it rather than saying, oh, that's that's a false religion or that's however it is that we choose to uh, dismiss people dismiss the outgroup, dismiss the other. We need to be inclusive. That's what I see Jesus doing. Jesus taking His disciples to um, the pig farmers on the other side of, of the lake. Um, Jesus taking his disciples to the Samaritan village, making it uncomfortable for them. It, it, it must have been uncomfortable for them. But Jesus radical, inclusive uh, behavior and teaching and modeling, is, is what we should follow. I, I'm not sure I answered your question. I just got on a row there and kept
1: going. You did. Uh, I love that. No, I loved it every second of it. How does this work practically with Peace Catalyst? When Peace Catalyst moves into a new area like, the, for example, El Paso, Texas, what are those first initial steps to build a movement for peace or for the kingdom there?
0: First, we're, we're a little bit picky about who we let represent Peace Catalyst. If, if, if they're still in this dualistic idea of we need to convert people to Christianity, that, you're probably not at a place where you're going to be comfortable working with Peace Catalysts because we don't try to convert people from one religion to another. It, it's genuinely trying to come alongside of other people, and it, it's Jesus-centric peacemaking. So we 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 love Jesus. Uh, we follow Jesus. We point people to Jesus. We have amazing conversations about Jesus with our Muslim friends that that missionaries wish they could have, but they're afraid that they're going to be outed as a missionary because they you know they're playing this CIA game where they're they're hiding their identity. But this open posture of honesty, saying the same thing to. To everybody, to a Christian community or a Muslim community, what we say is, you know, Jesus is amazing. We think he has answers for how we should relate to each other, and as we follow um, Jesus, I think that that is a a path to help us understand and, and honor God, which our Muslim friends want want to do. So when we go into a city, one of the first things we need to do is is get to know the Muslims. That are there. Uh, it's not that we are going to come and bring a a message of salvation to them. We want to partner with them. So what what I did in Louisville, Kentucky, where where I live, is I you know very intentionally got to know the Muslim community here, and then I would take my Christian friends and say, let's go have coffee with them. Let's go have let's go to the mosque and see what happens in there. And We've always been received very warmly. Sometimes good conversations happen, uh, friendships develop, and uh, what Peace Catalyst does is try to create safe spaces so that people can have better conversations, more nuanced conversations. So if we were to start a work in El Paso, as you mentioned, Uh, You would want to get to know the Muslim community there. You would want to get to know the Christian community that that wants to honor the other and bring them together, get them in the same room so they can realize that they're not a threat to each other, um, that we're both – all the communities, or those two communities anyway, are are seeking God with, with all of their heart. They're doing the best that they can given the information that they have. So let's journey together. I really like uh, learning from my Muslim friends. I'm, you know, the, our Muslim friends once a year fast for 30 days, and it's like at the end of that fast, you know, are you so glad it's over so you can go back to to your life, or are you on this like spiritual high where you're you're really close to God and and you, you know, you want it to go on forever. In relationship, I can ask those questions with with my Muslim friends. Uh, Apart from that, we just read about it and too often are critical of it, dismissive of it, uh, instead of in humility trying to learn from the spiritual
1: journey of others. Now, this seems like a difficult type of ministry to quantify with the typical results-oriented focus of a, of a modern or even a conventional missions agency. I know that when I was a missionary to Romania, the questions that were constantly asked to me is, you know, how many people have been converted? How many were baptized? How many joined a church, et cetera, et cetera. Talk to us about some of the lasting results of the work you're doing. How are individuals and communities changed as you wage peace, as you said, this is not about proselytizing your goal is something else. Talk to us about that
0: we do We do an event called a peace feast uh, and i've you, you read in the in the intro some of the groups that I've worked with the first the first peace feast that I did was with we called it a Palestinian peace feast. so I went to a Palestinian restaurant and said what 's your slowest night of the week? I want to bring you some business." Attempting to bless our Palestinian uh, neighbors, and we set up a, a meal that night. And I asked the restaurant owner if he would talk about what it meant to be a Palestinian, or his journey to America, or how he found being a Muslim in in the U.S. And uh, he didn't really want to give a talk, so but he said he would answer questions. So we got that first. Peace Feast had had 17 people that came to it. And uh, he talked about trying to run a, a business in Israel in in Palestine. And he had a restaurant prep business and he would cut up all of his tomatoes and uh, lettuce and whatever you know stuff that he had. And he said somebody would blow up something and uh, the whole city would shut down and my product would spoil. And you know, I went out of business trying to do a business there. So he came to the U.S. and and runs a restaurant here. So you know, just trying to humanize the other is is one of the things that that we do uh, there. But from that event, we have probably done, I would say, twenty different peace feasts with different groups. At one point, we had we did a, a Pakistani peace feast, and the State Department was bringing Pakistani journalists. Through Louisville that night, and uh, we had eighty people at uh, an Indian restaurant, and we had the the Pakistani journalists at the different tables, and we would ask them, uh, I would ask them questions from up front and let them answer at the que- at the at the table. Well, these Pakistani journalists, there were men, uh, there were women, there were Muslims, there were Hindus, so you know they all have different perspectives of what it meant to live in Pakistan. I remember asking the, po- the journalist, explain to your table what, uh, how colonialism has affected your country. And um, one of these guys was in tears talking about how they had been in servitude to some other country for 400 years, and that it had a- deeply affected the psyche of the people uh, in uh, Pakistan. I asked about drone warfare. You know The Pakistani people, uh, we hear mixed stories from them. Sometimes the, um, the, uh, we hear that the Pakistani people are upset because American drones kill innocent people and children, but sometimes we hear the Pakistani government likes drones because they kill people that they don't want to deal with. So as a Pakistani journalist, tell us your impression of drones. Now I can't control the way that conversation goes at at the different tables, um, but we're counting on the Holy Spirit to to do something in the hearts of the people that are gathered at that table, to humanize the other so we genuinely care about um, what the other person is going through. But from those peace feasts, we recently did, just this last uh, October, September or October, we did an event we called the Big Table, and that was with many organizations here in Louisville. Um, we got a park and had a large community potluck and told people, come meet come meet your neighbors. And then we had questions on cards at the tables. We had 1,800 people show up at a park to talk to and get to know um, their neighbor. So can it have lasting impact? Does it have a ripple effect? Yeah, peacemaking, when you start bringing people together, humanizes the other and helps us have better conversations. In my house, uh, every other weekend, we have a halal breakfast, which uh, the Muslims have dietary restrictions, and halal means permitted. So we fix a breakfast that our Muslim friends can eat, and then we have Christians and Muslims, and you know, right now we're reading through the book of Mark together, and the conversations are just amazing. It, it, it affects all of us as we, as we come together. Again, I rambled on. Um, re- reel, reel me back in whenever
1: you need me to. <laughs> no, that's, that's wonderful. I want to hear everything you're saying. <laughs> what are some of the biggest obstacles to the work you're doing? Uh, Christians
0: don't understand what we're doing. When I came back from traditional missions, we, a, as a family, lost two thirds of our support when we started saying nice things about Muslims. You know, in, in the U.S., sadly, right now, to, to say nice things about Muslims, people question your patriotism. We so conflate it, church and country. But I, I saw it as, as a matter of integrity, you know, following, following Jesus and advocating for, in this case, in our country, a minority population. Again, one to three percent of the total population. So to get the church to be nice to Muslims has just been an incredible challenge. It just amazes me. You know, we will spend millions of dollars to send missionaries around the world. But then, when the foreign born show up at our doorstep, we want to build a wall. We want to stiff arm them. We want to make it difficult for them to access uh, the services that are available uh, in our country. And yet, you know, you look at Paul on Mars Hill, is that Acts seventeen, I think. You know, he and he says, uh, "From one man, God made all the nations, and God determined." the times and the places that they would live, and he did so so that some people would reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So we can, we can stiff arm the foreign person that's coming to the, to the U.S., the, the Muslim person that's coming to the U.S., uh, but God is a per- God determined when people would live and where they would live, and he's doing it for a purpose. And God has given the church in the United States, you know, two, three hundred years to prepare for this moment in history. He's bringing the nations to our doorstep. We have an understanding of the Christ that we want to share, but we're afraid to do so. I've stood in front of churches and quoted scriptures like that, and you see people with their arms crossed in the back of the room and I'm projecting on them, but, you know, they're, they're they're thinking, you're naive. You don't know they're all out to kill us. And sometimes you have to answer their fears before Scripture seems to, to make a difference. So, you know, I tease sometimes that you have to start with Maslow's hierarchy of needs where people's, they feel like their physical uh, safety is threatened. They feel like their identity is threatened. And you have to say, no, our, our identity uh, is in Christ, is in God. We are all created in the image of God. God has a heart to bless everyone. He wants to be in relationship with everyone. And we just don't have a right to exclude people because we're, we're fearful.
1: Of that. I remember several years ago, well, a few years ago, I was deconstructing while pastoring a church. And so I kind of went through this period where I was learning about dualism. And I would, you know, unpack that with the folks that I was on my journey with. And we were talking about uh, seeing the other as human beings created in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect. And when you would talk about—I mean, that generally applied around the world is is fine and commonly accepted. But when you specifically say something like, Muslims are children of God, created in His image, worthy of dignity and respect, the pushback was uh, exactly what you just said. It's hard to love somebody who wants to slit your throat.
0: Well, and you know, Jesus said, said love your enemies. You know, and, and you can point to, to that, but what I'm saying is the Muslims are not your enemies. There are crazies who call themselves Muslim that, that, yeah, want to hurt you, but that is not going to be the neighbor that you're going to encounter in whatever city you are in in the U.S. Uh, sometimes there's misunderstanding because if they come as a refugee, uh, many times their language skills are limited. So they can't say everything that they're thinking, and you know, if they go quiet, we assume the worst. We fill in the gaps that are unspoken with our biases. But we really have to push through and intentionally try to build a relationship with the other. You have to talk to the person that's across the table from you instead of the stereotype that the news and the media uh, and the Internet has given us. Gordon Allport, back in the '50s, wrote uh, a book, "The Nature of Prejudice," and you know, he was a psychologist. And but he talked about scapegoating, how we need to how we need to have someone to blame for our problems. He talked about labeling, dismissive labels that we hang on the other. So you know, if we if we say, "Well, that person's a that group is they're terrorist," then we don't have to deal with the individual in front of us. We hide behind these labels that we hang on people as sort of a shortcut to to dismiss and make an out-group where we're always the in-group. So even though the book was written back in the 50s and and reprinted several times and, and focused on racial relationships, we're still dealing with these psychological principles. And I'm advocating, Peace Catalyst is advocating a kingdom approach, a Jesus-centric approach to relating to the other that will lead us all to peace uh, rather than uh, succumbing to nationalism
1: or the sociology that, that
0: makes us fearful of the other.
1: Now, One of the pushbacks that I, that I received during that same period I was just describing to you was these folks are our enemies because they've rejected Jesus. The Muslims that you know are they rejecting Jesus? No, absolutely not. So, and, and that's and that was one of
0: I, I've lost support at churches over this, you know. And the logic goes: if they've rejected the Son, then they've rejected the, the Father, you know. And and we we base that on you know Trinitarian uh, theology that we've developed developed through the years. But Muslims, uh, the Quran mentions Jesus more than it does Muhammad. The Quran, well, it, it, interestingly though, it, it mentions uh, Moses more than either one of them. But Muslims, the, the Quran says that Jesus was born of a virgin. The Quran says that Jesus was sinless. The Quran says that uh, uh, Jesus is the Word of God or refers to him as as the Word. So there are all these bridges where Muslims love Jesus. They, they don't reject Jesus. They reject our theology about Jesus. So like Aquila and, and Priscilla, you know, who came alongside of Apollos and explained the way more adequately uh, when he was only preaching the baptism of John, I think of what—I have this understanding of who the Christ is and how he interacts with us. And I want to have that conversation with, with my Muslim friends. I want to have it with my Christian friends who, who alienate the other based on their interpretation of, um, of Christianity. So no, Muslims don't reject Jesus. They reject our theology about Jesus. They, they don't think that he uh, died on the cross, although early, 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 some Muslim scholars were debating whether that happened or not. They think that he was too pure, too holy, and that God took him out and, and didn't allow him to die. There's, interesting. There's a passage in the Quran that says um, the Jews say that they killed Jesus. They didn't kill him, nor did they crucify him. It only appeared as though they did. It doesn't actually say Jews. You have to get the word Jews from from the context there. But I've had Muslim friends say, you know, who who killed Jesus? Was it the Romans or the Jews? And, and neither one did. You know Jesus says that he voluntarily gave his life for us. And so when when the Muslims have read that passage in the Quran that said the Jews say they killed Jesus, but they didn't kill him, they didn't crucify him, they interpret that as Jesus wasn't crucified. But what the Bible says is nobody crucified Jesus. So you can read that passage in the Quran with a different inflection. The Jews say they killed Jesus. They didn't kill him. They didn't crucify him. It only looked like they did. God was at work on our behalf. And, um, you know, I love having that conversation with my Muslim friends. And I love letting Christians know that that, that, that that is a conversation that happens. Our Muslim friends love to talk about Jesus and religion. You know, in our culture, it, it seems rude sometimes to bring up religion. But if you're a friend with a Muslim, it just comes naturally. And I don't know if it's their cultural background or religious background, but um, it's it's wonderful. I, I invite more people into this conversation.
1: One thing I was going to ask you: How open are Muslims to this conversation? It, it seems like they're the way you're describing it. They sound eager to have these conversations. Maybe that happens because. Going into it with an attitude of learning from them, not just teaching them something,
0: right? If you show up with an agenda, it, you know they say the only thing missing from friendship evangelism is friendship. You know, if you if you show up with an agenda where you are going to be polite for a few minutes till you can get your digs in and you know start dismantling uh, Islam, then it, it doesn't go very far. But if you are genuinely wanting to be a friend of Muslims, the conversations are are rich. And, and will bless you. Now, Islam has its, has its uh, baggage like Christianity does. And there are Muslims deconstructing Islam just like Christians are deconstructing uh, Christianity. But what Peace Catalyst likes to do is call people to discipleship. Deconstructing, although it, you know, it's a popular phrase that many of my friends use and, and describes what we're doing, but we're, really, what we're calling people to do is is be a better disciple of of Jesus. You know, there there are things, there are inconsistencies in the church uh, that that need to be addressed, or inconsistencies in in people who say they call themselves Christian uh, that that need to be deconstructed. I just like to try to frame it positively. You know, we're just trying to follow Jesus to the best of our ability, and uh, and our Muslim friends are are cool with that.
1: How does our current
0: political national climate affect the work that you do? It makes it more difficult. The, uh, the Muslims kind of go underground. You, you, you asked earlier about them. Do they want to have the conversation? They do, if, but if they're, if they're recent to the country, sometimes their, their English skills, uh, if they're a recent immigrant, um, prevent them from having the conversation. I've connected more with the doctors and the lawyers uh, the university students than I have the refugees but the current political environment makes makes our muslim friends afraid and it, but it's also it's an opportunity for for believers who want to be welcoming of the other to be an ally of people who honor everyone as created in the image of God is is not you know the, the conservative evangelical church sort of owns the airwaves. That is how Christianity is defined in the minds of many and I would say that many times that that version of Christianity doesn't reflect the love of Christ uh, sufficiently as as I understand it so. So yeah, it, it has made it more difficult. It's given people permission to sort of speak uh, in, in anger or vent their their fear. And I just think that's inconsistent with the the open kingdom of God.
1: How can I, as a follower of Jesus, be a better ally to our Muslim brothers and sisters?
0: Go Go into one of the Foreign-owned stores strike up a conversation. Get to know Muslims and have coffee with them. Be, be their friend, and um, they will introduce you to, to other Muslims. They're likely to invite you into their home. Ramadan's coming up in another month or so. Uh, they have Most of the mosques have uh, an open iftar meal. If you start this friendship now, you'll probably be invited to, to that and go with the the attitude of, of a learner of looking for for Christ already present in the the life of of your new Muslim friend.
1: Martin, how can our listeners get involved in the work of Peace Catalyst? Well, we have a website, uh peacecatalyst.org.
0: Uh we're always looking for um Volunteers looking for staff. You know, we're in 15 cities, but we'd like to be in more. If the things I've said uh, resonate with your listeners, then um, let's explore you doing opening a, a peace catalyst chapter uh, in your city. We can coach you through that. And of course, money is a, is a huge issue. I said earlier, you know, I lost two thirds of my support when I started saying nice things about Muslims. And, but our, our ministries is to try to bring Muslims and Christians together. So if that interests you, then reach out on the website. My email address will, will be there. It's martin.brooks at peacecatalyst.org. Send me an email or find me on the, on the website, and let's start a conversation and see if we can help you get to know uh, the Muslims in your area and advocate for them Within your your Christian context, many of you—I mean, your listeners—are going to have access to to churches that uh, might not that I don't have access to. So let's uh, let's have a, another conversation and help you influence the people
1: you can influence to be more loving, to be
0: more Christ-like.
1: Friends, we're going to drop links in the show notes for this episode to the Peace Catalyst website, their social media. Please check those out. Find out more about how you can get involved in the important work of Peace Catalyst. I I know this seems like a cop-out, but I know that organizations like this really do need our financial support. Please do give if you're able to give to Peace Catalyst International, but don't let that be all you do. Discover the Muslim neighbors in your own community, and start a campaign of listening and learning and real friendship without agenda. And we'll see our communities change for the glory of the kingdom of God will come near. Martin, thank you so much for your time today. I'm so grateful for this conversation.
0: Well, thanks for the opportunity. You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at messyspirituality.org help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.